Today, we are finishing the final three chapters of Hope and Invitation by Sister Josephine Garrett. We talk about the Eucharist, mystery, and the slow work of God, and how all of this points us to hope in our Lord. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Life Beyond the Chariot, a faith and family series from the St. Philip Institute. We believe we are called to not only know, but also to live the truth of the gospel within our homes, in our workplaces, and beyond. We believe we are invited to encounter Christ in the messiness of day-to-day life and to live as his disciples. Welcome back to another episode, um, our final episode of 2023, and we're in the midst of the Advent season um, when this comes out, but Mickey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I feel like I'm living the dream here at home, doing Advent-y things with the kids, so um, yeah, so it's been good. What about you? Good, good. We're doing our remote thing. So Mickey and I, if you're listening, Mickey and I are not in the studio this time. You'll hear a baby this episode. Um, if you're watching, uh, it'll get interesting as usual. <laughs> but And you might but, hear my kids and my dog. So, <laughs> you know, we keep it real here for you on Life Beyond the Chariot. Yeah. So we are, we're finishing up our discussion of um, Sister Josephine Garrett's book, Hope and Invitation. Mickey and I both have lots of notes um, and part three. And what I really loved about chapters six, seven, and eight is, especially in the midst of the Advent season, um, these things, these topics just seem to be really applicable to just our, our discussion. So some, some reflection on Um, the role of the Blessed Mother, the role of the Eucharist in our lives, and then also the the hope of the resurrection. I know resurrection isn't really tied to Advent, but this idea of there being a long wait or, you know, having to to rest um, or or, um, just allow God to breathe life into places um, that we may not uh, see those things happening. So um, I know, Mickey, you kind of hinted at this last uh, episode, but you're really excited to start with chapter six. And chapter six is um, Our Lady, She Who Labors in Hope. And Sister Josephine covered a lot of different things. But where do you want to start with this? Uh, yeah, she does cover a lot of ground. And I think what I appreciate really just about Sister Josephine's just character in general is her ability to just draw us into deeper meditation. And so, yes, I am excited and I hope that I can articulate in a way that makes sense to others. Everything that I've gleaned from these, um, or gleaned from these last few chapters. So I think maybe we just start off how she starts off just with our blessed mother. And I know you and I have done probably quite a few podcasts about different aspects of Marian devotions and stuff. But, uh, one of the first questions in our reflection booklet on chapter six is how would you describe your relationship with the Blessed Virgin Mary? So I thought that would be a good place to start. I like that. And she's a different character for, or not character, I shouldn't say, but people have different experiences of her. And I appreciated how honest sister was about like, she wasn't necessarily drawn to the Blessed Mother initially because she's physically, she is just so 
different than any of us. And there's this like pristine image, but she really broke open in the conversation, like how there is something very relatable about the blessed mother. Yeah, no. And that's something that, um, I think just in our conversations, like in our podcast and things that we have chosen, and even in my own walk with trying to discover my relationship with the Blessed Virgin Mary, like at first it was a struggle. And I say it's still a, a very much a work in progress, my relationship with Our Lady, uh, because I found it difficult to relate to her uh, because she was perfect, her child, perfect. Uh, and so I just felt like there was a huge disconnect. Uh, but when you read about the lives of the saints um, and really anyone that had a strong relationship with Jesus, they also had a great reverence and love and relationship with our blessed mother. And I was like, okay, there's something to this. I need to sort of dive deeper. And it's been really helpful having you and other people in my life who have life who have helped me uncover um, different aspects of of Mary's life and, um, and I guess ways that my relationship has grown with Mary has been actually by starting off with particular devotions to our lady. Cause I was like, I don't, I actually don't know where to start. I don't know how to make this relationship be what I think it needs to be or what God wants it to be. I didn't know where to start. So for, for me, it really just started off with just picking a devotion and doing that for a time and then just seeing what that did uh, or how God was speaking to me through that, how Our Lady was speaking to me through that. So um, I'm just going to go through a few of those devotions, if that's OK. Uh, but one of them has been the daily rosary. So, I mean, I've been Catholic all my life. The daily rosary was not part of my life really much growing up. Um, and then even in college, when I was majoring in theology, I did a rosary every once in a while. but Again, the daily practice of rosary was not something that I did. And I married a great Catholic man. Uh, we knew we wanted to raise our kids Catholic and introduce them to all these devotions. But we as a family didn't do the daily rosary for quite some time. So I think it, I don't remember what year it was, but probably, I don't know, 2016, somewhere around there, maybe 2015, um, we started. And we had you know kids at that point. I'm like, oh man, this is going to not work out. It's just not going to look great. But he basically said, we're going to do the daily rosary. It might be messy. It might be frustrating. It's not going to be perfect, but we're just going to do it. And in that, I have even noticed just like, okay, this has priority in our family life. This has priority in my life. And no matter how tired we are, or maybe how much there's a lot of noise or fighting, even during the rosary or you know, um, we're just going to do it. So just making that commitment, I think, has just been, for me, a type of cultivating the soil for other aspects of Mary's life to really take take root. Um, and so I've really appreciated that. And I know it's hard to start a daily rosary. I get it. We've been there. It's super hard, especially with kids. Uh but for me, that was really something that just cultivated the soil of my heart to be able to receive more of what she wanted to give. I know um, one thing that um, I, I wanted to share this, uh, and I can't remember if I've told this story on the podcast before, but one time I went over to your house for a podcast meeting and, um, or just like a meeting for work or something. We were, it was work. 
<laughs> and um, and you guys were finishing up your family rosary. And so I came in and sat down and it was so peaceful. Like it was just such a, a I think there was like fire going too. <laughs> and like, and I know that it's not always like this pristine, like perfect image of, uh, you know, of, of praying the family rosary. But that really planted a seed for me of like, okay, this is something that our family should try. And we have, we're not, we're not daily, you know, rosary family, like, cause our kids got older and then we had another baby and then we had another baby. And so like the, the youngest age has continued to, to lower, but um, when we have done it, what I have noticed is that our, our kids will, they eventually settle um, and there's just something about bringing that in and allowing the blessed mother to like walk alongside your family. And so all that to say, like, I'm really grateful for that, that moment that I got to experience with your family. Cause it was like, okay, this is possible. Um, even if it's not always exactly like this with a fire going and silence, like it, it's, it's something that can really bless a family. Uh, oh, that means a lot to me, Deanna, because sometimes it is absolutely imperfect at our house. And I know everyone has different ways that they approach prayer as a family. And something that I really appreciate about my husband, um, as far as introducing this, because you're introducing, you know, 20 minutes of, of prayer to children, uh, which is really hard. And he was very much of like not making it so rigid in their behavior that uh, it became almost an unattainable thing for the kids. So prayer felt like a failure um, with their behavior and stuff. And so honestly, we started off because they also had a hard time going to bed and we couldn't keep them in their room. So we're like, we'd put them into bed and then we would sit in the hallway. And Matt and I would pray our rosary and the kids could or they didn't have to join in with us. Um, so I don't know if their little minds associated um praying the rosary with like just peace and us all being together. Uh, but that's kind of how we started just praying it in the hallway. And, uh, and then usually they would fall asleep when they were littler. And so now it's just continued. Sometimes we still do that. And as they've grown older, we've tried to bring them in front of the family altar. But, but I think you're, I think um, how it looks is going to evolve, you know, and, uh, but all of that aside, um, I think that just making that commitment has, again, cultivated the soil. And when I had a hard time relating to Mary, um, some of the things that really stood out to me, um, one of them was like meditating on the seven sorrows of Mary, because even in her perfection and her sinlessness, the fact that she was a mother who grieved for her children who grieved for her child, who experienced the hurt and the pain of being a mother. I'm like, I can relate to that. Um, I've seen my kids go through hard times, not to the extent that she experienced Jesus, but I think every mother's heart when their child is suffering, it just aches. And so that's a that was the moment that I realized like, okay, there's something about her life I can relate to, even though it's a smaller level. Um, and the intensity is not like hers was. So um, I think we, we actually have a podcast on that, but meditating on the seven sorrows of Mary, and that just revealed her maternal heart to me. Um, and then um, I got into, I guess, a few years of really focusing on the 10 virtues of Mary, uh, 
because at that point I was doing um, a consecration, St. Louis de Montfort's consecration to Jesus through Mary. And he mentioned these 10 virtues and I was fascinated by them. And so I think we also did a series of podcasts on those. Uh, and so all of those, I think, were just ways of, of um, finding aspects of Mary that maybe I wasn't intentional about seeking and just learning from those and trying to grow in those. But I'll have to tell you, like the most powerful um, uh, devotion that has led to my trust in Mary and my love for her was really the consecration to Jesus through Mary. Um, I did. I know there's a different versions out there. I love the St. Um, Louis de Montfort one. And I've done it a few times, but the last time I did it, which was a few years ago, it was really powerful to me. And there was something in there about, I don't know if it was in there specifically or if it came in later reading, but really knowing that like Jesus entrusted her with, with um, dispensing his grace to who she saw fit and to, to whatever extent. And so I know there's a lot of issues out there with people who aren't familiar with Catholicism and they're like, well, I don't know if this makes sense, but, um, but for me it did. And I've really grown, not just in my relationship with Mary through that, but also Jesus, um, because God could have entrusted his son and communicated his love in any way he chose. And yet he chose her to be the vessel of that. And so when I started thinking about it that way, like, Jesus wants to reveal himself and his love, yes, through himself and his works, but also through his mother and also through his saints. And so that is something that has actually helped me is when I'm like, okay, um, as a mother, she cares for us more than like more than any other mother could. And that maternal love and her guidance um, has really just, uh, I have felt more free of my anxiety and worry by just surrendering like, okay, Lord, I want to do these, these, uh, like acts of reparation, um, acts of grace. And I trust that these graces will be used in whatever way you and our lady sees fit. And that's really just been a beautiful thing. And entrusting my heart to her maternal love and guidance has only increased my trust and my surrender of all things to her son. And that's what I think is so beautiful. Like it doesn't have to be the more that my love grows for Mary in no way takes away my love for Jesus. In fact, it just intensifies it. And because in everything that Jesus created, if we choose to meditate on that and bring ourselves into the deep mystery of that, the more we fall in love with him. And so I have found that to be true about our lady. Um, And uh, it's just been really kind of a beautiful thing for me to entrust to her mother's heart, my life and my children, those things that worry me. And in doing so, she has been so faithful and brought me ever so closer to her son. So as my relationship with her has increased, my relationship with Jesus has just blossomed. And I think, I mean, that's the role of Our Lady and it's beautiful. I love what you've shared and uh and I, I think it connects back to to what Sister Josephine um is saying. Like on page 75, she she talks about um I love this sentence, Mary is wild in the very best way. 
Like she puts flesh on the work of her spouse, the Holy Spirit, as she labors still today. And just breaking open that sense of she's not perfect in this way like you know I'll never be able to to attain that level of perfection or I'll never be able to be like her but she she's able to connect back to us and that we can receive from her that you know our relationship is with her is something that um that Mary has initiated in a way like through the relationship that we have with her son so there's so much to impact there but I think the place that I'd really like to um to to hear from you because I know that you've prayed with this a lot is um as sister continues the the chapter she talks about how you know all of the sisters um have to have uh the name Mary in their their name but as she was preparing for final vows like really reflecting on her mystery and like just that just that whole um like how, how, how to, um, I don't know, you might be able to describe this better than I can, but basically like how to kind of encapsulate that relationship with our Lord and how that's reflected in Mm -hmm. her name fully. And, and one of the things that sister does in this chapter is invite us to reflect on, you know, what is our mystery one, you know, what does, what would the mysteries of our life be? Like if you were to have a joyful, sorrowful, glorious, luminous mysteries for your own life with Christ, what would those be? And to like sit and pray with that and allow the the Blessed Mother to kind of guide that reflection, but also just like your mystery. So can you, can you share what you've been praying with? Absolutely. I hope I don't talk too much because I've been really excited to just, I actually share this with you, Deanna, because we haven't talked about it at all. Um, and uh, I, I conveyed this to you a while ago, but that about a year ago, when sister was telling us about their, what a mystery was, and basically it's like a descriptive phrase of how God has come into your life over time or during like uh, a very significant part of your life. And she's like, we kind of joked around like, oh, it'd be great to do a woman's retreat over uncovering our mysteries. But that seed was planted like a year ago. And I almost freaked out about it because I was like, that seems like a large task. What would my mystery be? I don't know what to do. Um, but in reading this, uh, it's been, it has unpacked so much sort of in, in my life. And so I'll sort of explain what I think God has revealed my mystery to be. And then I can kind of share a little bit. I'll try not to share too much, but a little bit about how that sort of came to be. But, um, so my, uh, my mystery would be the handmaid of the precious blood of the sacred heart. And so through this, through this, like one of my favorite stories is the Annunciation um, for a number of reasons. And at one point when Mary is presented with this task that God wants to give her of being the mother of, of his son, um, and all the fear and the confusion that can come with that. She says, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. And ever since my initial sort of, I've been Catholic my whole life, but my real conversion, my real, like, I want to live my life for Jesus. Although my prayer was not quite like Mary's, but like, Lord, do with me what you want. It's like, I'm actually ready right now to be disposed to you to do with my life what you will. And so that story, the fact that she called herself the handmaid of the Lord has always been 
a beautiful testimony. And uh, we found out we were going to adopt our daughter on the Feast of the Annunciation. Like there's so many ways that God has revealed these things, which is beautiful. Um, And so that has just, that phrase has always stood out to me. And then when I was a youth minister um, in Houston for a year, I was, uh, my first job was at Sacred Heart. And I was introduced to this prayer um, from St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, which is the patron saint of devotees of the Sacred Heart. Um, And the prayer just seemed to encapsulate everything that I had kind of been feeling about what I wanted to do in terms of my life with God. Like it was such a beautiful prayer. It's kind of long, so I'm not going to read it, but um, I think you have my notes and it has the link in there. So maybe we can put that in the show notes, but it's an act of consecration to the Sacred Heart. But um, there was one part where when she died, uh, she died at 43 and something that she said, she said, I need nothing but God and to lose myself in the heart of Jesus. And I thought, where else would I want to be but in the heart of Jesus? And so over the years, the the sacred heart and images and like uh, phrases stories have just kind of come into come into my life and I've done a few things with that and then I let it drop and then I got back devoted to it and then I kind of let it drop but then after sister Josephine mentioned that about a year ago I really paid attention I'm like okay no God's doing something with the sacred heart and I need to listen to that so um so I committed finally to saying that prayer every morning so before so I roll out of bed literally and I hit my knees and I say that prayer, I have the prayer printed right by my bedside. And I just say that, that act of consecration to the sacred heart every morning. Uh, and then one of the practices of that was revealed to St. Margaret Mary was the first Saturday devotion. So um, we've made that actually a practice in our family to go to first Friday mass. Um, we go every, almost every Friday now, but we don't miss it. We don't miss a first Friday unless there's sickness or something major, but um, and so just taking on those things about what a what a life of true devotion to the sacred heart would look like. And just this past year, we had uh, one of the diocesan priests come over and do a enthronement to the sacred heart. And so I feel like, you know, it just it's given me um, clarity of mission or, or clarity of intention, maybe to move forward. And it's just been really beautiful. Um, and what I I actually just found this out not too long ago, but she's also the patron saint of those who are suffering from the loss of parents. And my dad died three years ago, which has been a significant catalyst for me going deeper in my understanding of God and his love. And um, yeah, I guess I, I've just sat or rested in the heart of Jesus with so much pain and grief, that's kind of hard to communicate into words. And so I have felt like it is only in the heart of Jesus that my deepest grief and my deepest joys that I experience about my dad is truly known and respected in the heart of Jesus. And, and that is where I have felt like that God has reverenced my experience in his heart. And that's been really beautiful, but I just found that out. And then, um, you know, so the the handmaid of the sacred, of the precious blood of the sacred heart. So the precious blood kind of entered uh, in my life a little bit later. Um, 
a draw toward the precious blood has been a newer development, but it really captivated me. Um, about five years ago, my husband and I started praying the litany of the precious blood as part of another set of prayers. And it's really been a beautiful litany. And I started meditating on the power of the blood of Jesus. And to think like with one drop of his blood, just one, he could have saved the whole entire world. And yet he shed his blood in so many parts of scripture. Um, he allowed himself to be emptied. And he didn't have to, like one drop could have done everything that he wanted to do to accomplish his will. And um, so there were two sort of powerful experiences that happened kind of a long time ago in high school. I was able to go on a pilgrimage to Europe and they have the Holy Stairs in Rome where they have um, drops of blood and they're, they're sort of encased over like glasses over it and you walk up them kneeling. And I didn't really know anything about the precious blood of Jesus, but I remember when I'm going up these stairs, I was, there was a, um, like you saw people kissing every single, um, you know, glass plate. And I was like, the reverence here was just beautiful. And that really stood by me. Of, of course, I kind of let that go and didn't meditate anymore upon that. Um, and so that has recently taken more significance in my life. And then um, when I was in college is when the passion of the Christ came out and there's a scene there, uh, right after the flogging of Jesus, where the blessed Virgin Mary and Mary Magdalene start soaking up the blood of Jesus with rags. And I remember that image having a, a impact on me, like their deep reverence of like, no, no drop of his blood will be wasted. Like it is that precious. And those kind of always, um, those images have never left my mind It sort of embedded itself deep in, deep in the memory of my heart. And, uh, and then I started saying this other set of prayers, um, that meditate on the precious blood of Jesus and sort of when they were shed. So at the agony in the garden, when he sweated drops of blood, his flogging, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of the cross, the crucifixion. But this is the part that kind of struck me. I didn't really think about it, but the piercing of his side um, is the last set of prayers. And then what it says is that um, it says eternal father, accept as worthy for the needs of the Holy church and as atonement for the sins of all mankind, the precious blood and water which poured forth from the wound of Jesus' divine heart. Be gracious and merciful toward us. And then it says, blood of Christ, the last precious content of his holy heart. Wash me and all of wash me of all mine and others' guilt of sin. Like the idea that with one drop of blood he could have saved everything. But even after he's has died and surrender it, he still emptied out more. Um, so when that Lance went through his heart, like everything was emptied out. And I've just been um, just, I mean, captivated is just the only word I can think of captivated by that, that he gave everything. Um, and it's kind of revealed to me so many things that I can't even, I don't know if I can articulate clearly, but, but it has communicated to me. Um, sort of the deepest level of his love and how he emptied himself out for us. And it's also given to me like the intention of being able to reverence even the smallest drops um, of Christ's work. 
and appreciating that and reverencing that for what it is um, as a drop of Jesus's blood, like his holy work in his church here on earth. And so the idea that I, I want to do the same, I want to empty myself out. I feel called to empty myself out for the work of God um, and to, and to reverence what he's doing in all of that. And I'm working on not complaining <laughs> about those things that are hard, uh, about those things that I don't necessarily want to do and like reverencing the call or reverencing the situation that I'm currently in, knowing that God could change it at any time. He could redeem it or he could allow me to suffer through it. But in each moment, reverencing the work that he's doing. Uh, anyways, and so, and I just found this out this year that the the Feast of the Precious Blood is July 1st, which is also my dad's birthday. So I know all of these things have just been, I mean, there's still so much for me to to chew on and to meditate on. And I just feel excited to see how God has in so many years throughout my life has just given me these bits of, yeah, like a, a deepening of understanding his heart. Yeah. Um, anyways. Oh my gosh, Maggie, that's beautiful. And that I think that ties, we, we talked about this a little bit with Sister Josephine, but this idea of the slow work of God um and uh, and it that's it's reflected on in um in the next chapter um the eucharist the slow work of god but this idea that like god can reveal things to us like, like your mystery was not something that came overnight it wasn't something that like one trip to the adoration chapel you're like oh okay now i got it but that over time you've been able to slowly put these pieces together that's so beautiful it's absolutely beautiful I love it and that it connects even back to things that you experienced in college and I think that's a real encouragement for us you know especially in you know the instant gratification culture that we're in and like swipe right for this or (laughs) my like instantaneous um, Amazon order or anything like that I feel like I can often approach the Lord with this idea of like, well, reveal it to me and reveal it to me now. And I think between, you know, the, the reflecting on the mysteries and for me, I'm still like trying to piece all the pieces together. (laughs) I put all the pieces together. I feel like mine probably has to do with divine mercy in some capacity because that is something that has come up a lot. Um, But um we talked with sister josephine about like the slowness of the lord and i think it's on pages 91 and 92 where he talks about where she talks about um god promises us his presence he promises us emmanuel and that's the thing that we can cling to through all of our experiences or all of the tribulations And in those places where it's the most difficult to hope, the thing that we can cling to is that um, God has promised to be with us. He didn't promise that he would fix everything. He promised that he would be with us. And I think so often, like, I take that for granted. That makes sense. Sorry, I didn't realize my microphone was on mute. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Um, no, absolutely. And this is, 
And this is something I love that she mentioned it, like the slow work of God and how he chooses to reveal himself. Like maybe sometimes it's like a Paul, St. Paul experience and it's, you know, you get knocked off your horse and you realize that it's Jesus speaking to you. But there's something very beautiful about the um, unwrapping of the gift of Jesus's relationship with you and how that's unfolding and how uh, you get to sort of unwrap these different aspects. Like before my dad passed away, the precious blood would not have, I think, had the significance that it does now. Um, Because really there's one part where it's a a precious blood of Jesus. um, Okay, I'm going to forget the exact wording, but basically um, consolation for the dying. And so there's this one line of that prayer about the litany of the precious blood, where it talks about precious blood, consolation of the dying. And that line stuck out to me after my dad's passing. So I don't know if this whole mystery of my life would have taken either the form it is in the words or the significance without all of these other things happening first. So, you know, just everything that you said about, um, the slow work of God and abiding in that and letting him do his work and revealing himself to us and like what our relationship with him is going to look like. And that seems to be like it all, it all comes back to this theme of hope. And I know, especially in the Advent season, like we were saying before, like this is a real time to dive into that and to, and to dig into it. And and what sister Josephine has done in this book I think is make hope something that is not just this like thing out there or something fluffy, but like actually reflecting on, you know, what is the slow work of God? Um, What is it that the Lord is doing and where are those places where it might even feel like there's um, death or, you know, just like there's no growth happening or these places that may feel like tombs. So she talks about that a lot in, uh, in chapter eight, um, you know, about our resurrection and this need to enter into the tombs of our lives and allow God to, to enter in there. Um, but I think it's so important for us to really reflect, especially in the Advent season on the slowness of how God works and like that God is trustworthy and, you know, just to, to put like a concrete example on it. I mean, in the diocese of Tyler right now, this is a very interesting time. We don't have a Bishop. Um, There's a lot of unknowns. And I think that there is a temptation sometimes for us to kind of despair or to jump to like, you know, oh, what what's happening? What are we going to lose? What's going to change? Who is the new person going to be? But I think that this is actually a really good example of God's slow work. Like what we're experiencing right now in our diocese is one tiny moment in all of <laughs> salvation, right? Like it's, it's one tiny moment in salvation history. Oh. And that, you know, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, that we'll be able to look back on 2023 and all of the crazy things that happened. And maybe it won't be until a hundred years from now that we'll be able to look back and say like, Oh, Oh, so that's what the Lord was doing. Okay. But and you've done a really good job with this Mickey of just reminding me that nothing that happens 
is like everything that's going on is for our sanctification and like to tie that to hope that we're not experiencing this particular chapter um, because God just wants to like sit back and laugh at us or that he wants to see us troubled. Like it is a moment to like enter into the tombs or to, to see like, okay, where am I not placing my hope in the right places? Am I placing my hope in people or am I placing my hope in the Lord? And that's, that's where I've, I've really been sitting in prayer with everything that's been going on is, am I putting my trust in a person or am I putting my trust in Jesus and knowing that, you know, regardless of, you know, who the Bishop is, who the Pope is, who our pastors are like, Jesus is still Jesus. And that's not just like a fluffy thing to say, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And one of the things that she said um, in her I think it's actually in chapter seven, but she said the slowness, slowness is not a threat to the promise, but instead a reason to delight that the promise stands even when life is slow and ordinary and difficult and awkward. And like Jesus promised that he would always be with us and always be with the church. And um, I've just been reading this uh, other book about total surrender and trusting in God's divine providence. And it's really been helpful, but the idea that sometimes God helps us to grow by allowing us to witness some resurrection, just like the apostles did. Sometimes it's entering into the passion. Sometimes it's a little bit of both. Sometimes um, it's like Mary who walked. She could do nothing but walk with her son. And sometimes we're just called to walk. And what does that do in our spiritual lives? Well, it shows us the heart of Jesus. All of these moments shows us the heart of Christ. And so um, what I'm called to do as a mom, what you're called to do as a mom, what pastors are called to do as priests of their church, what bishops are called to do, what the Pope is called to do, like every disciple of Christ is called to dispense their life totally to Christ so that he can work in and through them. And when we do that, when we do that, um, then God is actually doing the work instead of us trying to um, like fix things that, that he doesn't want to fix or grasp at things that he's not giving us yet or that he's not going to give us at all. Um, so like we talked about in another episode, like having that posture of receptivity, receiving what God wants to give me in that moment without grasping um, and without fear. And the peace that comes with that, man, there's so much freedom in knowing that God is in control and I'm not. Uh, and there's so much learning more and more of his heart and what he wants to give us when we do that. And I think that's just what I really appreciated about this book is I think sister is inviting us to really enter into these things, you know, um, abide with Christ as he does his work. Uh, in us and through us. And we have to allow both. We can't just say God work through me. We have to allow him to work in us. And sometimes that can be some of the most um, painful yet healing processes, you know, just like if something in my body wasn't working right and I had to go into surgery, there is pain and recovery that's going to happen to make me better. And so in our lives, there is going to be a pain or like grief 
um, or something that is going to happen. But all of that, if we trust that God is doing this for our sanctification and allow him to do that, man, the fruits of our spiritual life are just going to explode. And so just trusting in that promise. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. And I encourage people, like, please get the book because it's really good. And, and there's, there's several points throughout where she offers um, a particular meditation. And there's one in particular, I think in uh chapter, yeah, in the last chapter about a sculpture and I don't want to ruin it for anyone. Just go get the book and, and do that meditation. But th- that meditation it is so beautiful when she shares, um, her experience with it. Like there was some, that was an example of something that was planted that she didn't get answers to until years later. So, and I think because we know sister Josephine and we know like what a joy and a blessing she is in our diocese and just to all the people that, that she ministers to, like, you can see the fruit of that waiting and that trusting and that hoping in her and in her ministry. So, um, so hopefully this is something that, that people can really, um, cling to for the rest of Advent. This is our last episode for 2023, which is wild. We did, I guess, about 20 episodes this year, which is great. Um, And we'll probably pick back up like in late January or February. Um, But yeah, if I mean, if I have any prayer for, you know, our primary audience is the, the Diocese of Tyler, I, I really hope that people can can spend this Advent season, Christmas season, moving into the new year. Um, you know, one praying, praying for Bishop Strickland, praying for our clergy, praying for our new bishop, whoever that would be. But in all of that, to have hope and joy um, in the waiting and the uncertainty of, of what's to come, because who knows where we'll be a year from now. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And just realizing that everything that we do from here until maybe we get some of these answers, you know, that there's, it's a constant cultivation of making our souls ready to receive. Yep. So, and we may not get these answers till we're in heaven. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So keep cultivating. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, at the very end of the book, um, sister puts the, the act of hope. And we thought we'd close, um, with that as our, as our final prayer. Ready? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord God, I hope by your grace for the pardon of all my sins and afterlife here to gain eternal happiness because you have promised it, who are infinitely powerful, faithful, kind, and merciful. In this hope I intend to live and die. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.